0: What up, all you beautiful Misfits and Rejects out there? Thank you for joining me for episode 176 of Misfits and Rejects. Today's episode, I spoke with Alan Walton. Alan is the owner and operator of SpyGuy.com, where he sells surveillance equipment to people who are maybe concerned about a loved one who's in a home and they're concerned that they might not be being treated correctly. He'll sell them, you know, a little spy cam or somebody who... Maybe is getting sexually harassed at work and needs an audio recording to prove that they're being sexually harassed. It's a really interesting niche that he's in and he's doing very well for himself. You know, he's built it up to a seven figure business and started making some of his own products, you know, like Scout, which is a, a tool to find hidden cameras in hotel rooms or Airbnbs. I really enjoyed our conversation. I have no doubt you will, too. If you're a first-time listener, please hit that subscribe button. If you like this episode and want to share it with somebody else, that would be awesome. And rating it and commenting on it also is really appreciated. If you haven't yet gotten a Misfits and Rejects t-shirt yet, you can head on over to misfitsandrejects.com backslash shop and pick one up. And with that said, please sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode with Alan Walton from spyguy.com. Welcome to Misfits and Rejects, a podcast about the lifestyle design of expatriates, travelers, Entrepreneurs and adventurers. I'm your host, Chapin Kruder. Enjoy. I didn't fit in America. With cocaine, there's just always too many guns and too many bad attitudes. I quit the limiting stories. Really try to overcome that fear. And right there, for any of your listeners, a lot of what I was to do in the rest of my life was formulated by the fact I just went and did it. Goddamn. Welcome to another episode of Misfits and Rejects. Today I'm joined by Alan Walton from SpyGuy.com. Alan, welcome to the show. Hey, yeah, thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for coming on, dude. It's been an amazing kind of research project for me going through what you do because it's so interesting. And when we met in Thailand, I had to get you on to talk a little bit about it because, I mean, I guess I just never really knew much that this was even a market, dude. Like you selling spy equipment to average joes is that kind of what you do like can you talk to me a little bit about that
1: (laughs) yeah uh yeah so i guess that is what i do uh (laughs) i've been in the surveillance space for like the last uh i got started in 2009 all right so i guess i'm coming up on 11 years in the spy and surveillance industry
0: so when so okay that sounds very professional Just call yourself a in the surveillance industry Uh, (laughs) is this something that I mean, what what's the demand like out there? Like, are are you getting just countless uh, questions daily from people who are interested in buying surveillance equipment or people who are already super paranoid and already have purchased surveillance equipment but don't like the products that they have purchased and looking for an upgrade of some kind? I'm just trying to get the to understand the psychology of the pe- people and customers you deal sure. with. And maybe even yours as well. Like, did you get into this space? Because, no offense, but like, were you paranoid about someone that you wanted to like, observe without them knowing?
1: (laughs) No, I only got involved in the space because um, I needed a job and I thought electronics were cool and there was a local store that sold surveillance equipment and uh, you know every most cities uh, at least in the past a lot of them have shuttered but a lot of cities have like these really sketchy looking spy shops where you can get spy equipment Um, they're really scary to look at and I was always hesitant to go inside, but one day there was a, there was a store here in Dallas and it had a help wanted sign and I needed a job and my mom actually made me apply for it because I wasn't attending college and I was living at home. Uh, and so I ended up getting the job and that's how I got exposed to just like the, uh, the spy industry security. Security is like the big, like the top of the hierarchy, I guess. And then it kind of branches off into like, you know, alarm systems, security cameras, and then I specialize in like the covert stuff. So like hidden cameras, GPS trackers, um bug detectors, that sort of thing for people who don't want to be spied on. Uh, And so uh as far as like customers go and like who who our market is, it's it's honestly all over the place. So people don't just buy this stuff because it's fun or whatever or high tech. People only shop from us if they actually need one of the devices that we sell. So it might include, um, like, like the vast majority of our customers are just regular people, right? Like, Oh, I'm a business owner. And I think one of my employees is stealing from me, or I think one of my competitors is sabotaging me and I need like to set up a camera and find out who it is. Or, Hey, I think my kid is a drug dealer and I need to put a GPS tracker on their car. Or I think my wife is cheating on me or more common. I think my husband is cheating on me. Um, I'm being harassed at work, and I need proof i think my I think my grandma is being abused at the Alzheimer facility that she lives in, and I need proof, so it 's that sort of stuff
0: okay now that 's starting to make sense and be a lot more clear. I can totally understand with the concern of loved ones you know having you know somebody in a home and you want to make sure that they 're being treated correctly. Um, it is intriguing that females are seeking out devices to find out if their husband is cheating on them in the sense that um, I feel like a lot of people just intuitively know that they're being cheated on. So I guess they they do need that sort of like visual. But um, the fact that females are coming to you for a device, what kind of device are they seeking mostly from you to find out if their husband's cheating?
1: It depends. I I think GPS trackers are probably the most common.
0: So they just throw it in the car or they hide it in the car and they they just track them live? Yep. Yeah, I was going over, and just real quick, I have to know for myself how many takes was it for every single video you did on your website? How many takes did you do for every single one?
1: (laughs) Gosh, okay. I'm so embarrassed that you brought up those videos. Um, I filmed those videos like four years ago, uh, and I hate being on camera. And it was at a time where I didn't have a whole lot of money to pay for filming. So I, I. Basically, found this guy. They filmed videos. uh, Him and his little company. They filmed videos. They had a space where I could go in and record these videos. We made 25 videos in like a 12 hour period, a 12 hour block of time. Like, I was exhausted. If you actually like load all 25 videos, you could probably put them in order based on how, like, uh, based on how we filmed them. Because I'm so tired by the very last one that my eyelids are like drooping and I just look dead. Uh, It it was awful. So we have offices, and we just built a studio, and we're going to be filming all new videos. It's going to look great. (laughs) But yeah, all of those videos were filmed in like a one-day period, and I've just been dreading – shooting those again which is why they're still up on the website
0: they're not bad dude i mean i just know from my own um just even audio recording like the introduction to your episode for example sometimes takes me like 30 or 40 takes just so i'm happy with it so yeah. i can imagine when you're sitting there in front of a camera you're just like uh, and you have so many products laid out in front of you that you want to articulate you know the pros the cons and the benefits of it yeah, yeah it's got to be difficult for sure
1: yeah it was really difficult at the time but as i've you know, been interviewed more and I've had more exposure to being on camera and stuff. It definitely is getting easier. I still don't really like being on camera, but, you know, the more you do it, the better you get at it and the more comfortable you get. So,
0: yeah, the, uh, the first product that jumped out at me, and I think it was, I overheard you talking about this in Thailand, and I just, that's when I approached you to come on the podcast, but was the, the product that you have called Scout. Yeah, you go into brooms and you can find hidden cameras with this product, especially for someone like me who's to stay in Airbnbs all around the world. Um, this is necessary. It sounds like based on a few articles I've been reading lately, like there's a lot of people out there who have hidden cameras in their place either because they're perverts or because they're obviously genuinely afraid of people destroying their apartment. Um, can you talk to the audience and myself a little bit about that threat and like what service you're providing with this scout tool?
1: Right, so hidden cameras in Airbnbs especially, um, hotels, not unheard of at all, Um, and just in people's apartments and homes, like people are just putting them in random people's homes or whatever, Um, and they could view it from their phone anywhere in the world. And so these hidden cameras, I mean, nobody goes into a room, right, thinking that there's a camera watching them. Uh, They're hard to detect, and... I get Google alerts all day long about hidden cameras being found uh, in public restrooms, Airbnbs, other vacation rentals, uh, that sort of thing. And we get a lot of customers that get concerned about it as well. And so Scout, the product that you know uh, you heard about in Thailand, that's the first product that uh, I've ever actually created. So I've been a retailer for years and years and years, and it's just selling other people's stuff. But... I've always wanted to make our own items and we talk to customers all the time and we know what they want. And so I really wanted to get into manufacturing. And so we just rolled scout out about, well, it, was, it launched at the end of October, uh, 2019. And yeah, it's just a really great tool that people can travel with. And when you get to where you're staying uh, or if you're just concerned about a hidden camera, just wherever you are, then you can pull out this device, and it'll uh, find the camera lens. So it's kind of hard to explain exactly how it works, but it's got this light, and it bounces off the camera lens. Um, It makes it very obvious that it's a camera, and yeah, it's pretty cool.
0: are you visually trying to see the reflection, or the device itself notifies you that, oh, this is a reflective lens that now we've uh, detected in this device therefore you know it's a camera for sure
1: i would love if we could make a device that'll just be like oh hey this is a can't you don't have to do anything i found the camera unfortunately it doesn't work that way you actually have to like look through the device and then like look around the room like uh look at look up at the smoke detector or look up the air vents and if you see a pinpoint of red light like somebody's flashing a laser pointer at you, or something, then that means it's bouncing off of a camera lens. Really hard to explain just verbally, and it's even difficult to explain on camera. We tried filming this. It's a product that you kind of have to actually use in order for it to, uh, in order to like get it.
0: Can you visually see the red light with your naked eye, or this product is necessary for discovering these cameras?
1: Yeah, you need a product like this so that,
0: um, so that you can actually detect the camera lens okay because there's a at my um, sister's home there's like a device in the ceiling that looks like a smoke detector and i sometimes see this red light like inside of it i'm like is there a hidden camera in there someone it?
1: <laughs> if it's a hardwired camera it might just actually be a power indicator okay um, but
0: yeah <laughs> no it's super it's super interesting yeah just going through all the um, products that you have, I'd like to talk a little bit about the manufacturing of scout. But before we do that, the voice recorder was also really interesting to me. Like who's buying a voice recorder? Like what are they trying to capture when obviously they are trying to capture somebody saying something, but like who, like what their boss may be sexually abusing or harassing yeah. them or something like that.
1: Yeah, we get a lot of that. Um, okay. workplace harassment. We get people who are having important business meetings and they want to record them. Uh, people who like, they have a college professor who looks through all their stuff to make sure they're not being recorded, um, but they want to, like, record the lecture or whatever. Um, investigative journalists. So I've seen quite a few, like – I pay attention to the news and uh, politics and stuff like that. And so I've seen orders that have come in that came from, you know, reporters uh, ordering, like, a voice recording pen or something like that. Um yeah, that's generally it. People going through divorces and they need to like log their conversations with a spouse so that they can hand it to the lawyer or something like that, trying to get custody of their kids. Mm-hmm.
0: Really interesting, dude. So yeah, going back to Scout then, and you you know deciding that you wanted to produce this thing, have it manufactured. Um, I'd like to kind of dive into you know what we do as digital nomads, how this works, this idea of like being able to make money from line or online and automate it. In a sense, so that you don't necessarily have to always have the physical products that you have shipped to your location, then you have to send out um, to your customers. Um, how how does your model work? Like, do you, is this all like do you is it all fulfillment by Amazon? Do you have an actual location, a storefront, brick and mortar that people come and buy your products from you, or is it all online? Can you talk a little bit about the business model, and then we'll kind of go into how Scout was produced.
1: Sure, um, all of one hundred percent of our sales come from our own website. It's just spyguy.com. It's a Shopify website that I started back in 2014. We've never sold on Amazon. And uh, I guess a couple years ago is when we got our first office space. And that's where we house all our inventory. So um, I know a lot of people listening to this are digital nomads. I am not. I'm I'm in a bunker up in North Dallas, Texas. Um, I still like to travel. And I can still run my, compu- uh, my business from the computer, but we do have an office um, where a couple of our workers like to go in, and then that we have all of our inventory, and so we do all of our own fulfillment. So we do actually go in and pack, pick and pack orders and have you know, FedEx or whoever pick them up so that they can get shipped out to customers.
0: No, it's all good. Theoretically, though, you could do like an FBA sort of model if you wanted to. Um, oh, yeah, Absolutely. So, yeah, but this is your choice because you can control the supply chain better and the the, the end product and delivery, right?
1: Yeah, we had hired a third-party fulfillment at one point um, years ago, and it was such a disaster. And uh, I still have a lot of friends that have hired third-party fulfillment, and (laughs) the horror stories I hear are actually pretty funny, uh, just all the different screw-ups that happen uh, in their warehouses. It sounds like Amazon themselves do it the best, of course. Um, but I don't sell on Amazon at all. And I don't want to, really. So uh, I can't use FBA. But you know, if I'm willing to put up with a bunch of errors and stuff like that and high prices, then I could definitely hire a third-party fulfillment company to handle all the shipping. We could shut down the offices. Yeah, we could definitely do that.
0: Mm-hmm. Right on. So then, yeah, let's talk about the pr- production aspect of it. Did you take it to a manufacturer in China? Like, did you use some of the resources through, you know, the Dynamite Circle, which we're both a part of, to, like, help you sort of develop that product, have it manufactured in China, and then ship to you?
1: A lot of people in the D.C. did help me. Um, Not on, like, a, hey, we're doing business together type of thing, but in a, hey, these were my experiences with manufacturing in China, or this is how I found a supplier, or like I would show them prototypes and they'd give me really good feedback and then marketing ideas. But as far as like the development of Scout goes, um, I guess there's kind of like a phase one and then there's a phase two. So phase one with Scout was like deciding what product I was actually going to manufacture. Um, so we have a lot of different product categories. Uh, at first, I thought I wanted to make our own line of hidden cameras, but I'm not technical. I, I don't know how to program. I don't know anything about hardware or anything. I just know how to, like, do sales and marketing, basically. Uh, and so I really wanted to develop a hidden camera, but the price point was high. Like, the cost of development was high. I didn't know how all of this stuff worked. Um, I figured I would have to set up, like, a bunch of cloud storage and then build at iPhone apps so that people can log into their cameras. It, it sounded really complex, and it also sounded a little bit like a security risk, Right. Especially since I'm not technical, like I didn't want somebody to buy a camera to like keep track of their kid or something like that, and then you know just some dude in China is watching the footage because I didn't use this you know like an encrypted feed or something. Uh, so eventually, I settled on a, a camera detector because the complexity was low, the cost was low, and it seems like we can make it pretty quickly. And so I I didn't really know where to go at all, because I didn't know anyone that had done electronics before. Because rule number one of Amazon FBA is don't do electronics, because uh, high defective rate, low margins, that sort of thing. A lot of complex parts. Uh, So what I ended up doing after just kind of wandering around aimlessly, what felt like forever... It took me like a full year of just having the idea to like actually getting started on something because I couldn't figure out where to go. In the end, um, like a lot of things, it ended up being a friend of a friend. So I found out that a friend of mine was an engineer in a former life and still kept up with some of his friends. One of whom uh, is lived right, you know, one one town away from me. So it was like a 15-minute drive, and he uh, he was able to build a, a printed circuit board, a PCB for me. So it had all, it was basically just like a proof-of-concept kind of thing. Like he was able to make exactly what I wanted very quickly. He ordered all of the little components online on a website called DigiKey or Mauser. If anyone here is into electronics, then uh, they'll know those two websites. And so we just ordered the parts on there we built we soldered everything by hand and we made a prototype of scout and i'm like wow this is awesome i can't believe it <laughs> and then we uh i was able to find another friend of a friend who was an industrial designer so that's somebody that could actually make the plastic housing for it and make it look cool and feel cool and be high quality and so after that it became like uh an inter- like you constantly had to go back and forth between the two because we had all the components and then we had the housing but we need the components to fit the housing but we need the housing to be this certain shape size whatever and so it was like this big back and forth and it got really difficult and eventually we were able to get the housing that we wanted but i didn't know how to actually get it manufactured now that i had like the the pcb the electronics the housing now how do i bring everything together and make it like viable for actual production, because I had to make like thousands of these, right, in order to make it cost effective. And so I just really didn't know what to do for the next few months. And um, I guess I had my big break when I was on a pretty popular podcast called The Tim Ferriss Show, and I was interviewed on there, and a lot of people heard it. And I had several people reach out to me who heard me on his show complaining about manufacturing electronics. And so all these people reached out to me and were like, hey, I can help you. And so I, I actually kind of partnered with somebody to drag this thing across the finish line. <laughs> and so it, it took uh, like another six months or so, but we were actually able to make it like into a finished product.
0: That's really cool. Um, yeah, I wanted to bring the Tim Ferriss show into the loop at some point. Um, now's a great time, but I thought you were on the Tim Ferriss show quite a few years ago. Was this more recent then?
1: Uh. Yeah, it aired uh, thirteen months ago. Oh, okay, so just over a year.
0: Okay, and just through that, then this person reached out to you, and then when you say partnered with, I mean, are they partner like a business partner now, or was no equity
1: was... or anything like that? No, I I basically paid them the development cost to get the product off the ground. Okay, uh, and, and well finished, not off the ground, and then um, they also do whenever we need to do reorders and stuff like that, they handle all of the. China operations, essentially, so that I can focus on other things because I don't like doing, you know, 1 a.m. Skype calls with China and like trading emails. And it takes like two weeks just to accomplish something that could be done in like 10 minutes if I were actually in China. Um, so they handle all the China back office stuff and quality control and all that sort of thing.
0: That's really cool, dude. And so that's um, going well. I mean, has, has the... Yeah, it's been great. Yeah. So your, your customers are happy with what you produced?
1: Yeah, uh, it's a great product. Uh, Customers have – like we've heard great things from customers. We're having a hard time collecting – we've always had a hard time collecting reviews because a lot of our customers are trying to be anonymous. And like we even allow them to be anonymous on the website. But a lot of them just don't want us bugging them at all. They're trying to be discreet. They don't want to you know, be pestered. A lot of customers get upset when we just send them an order confirmation. Uh, So – uh, it's kind of hard for us to get reviews, but from what we we've heard, people like it. We have people that buy, you know, half like half dozen of them just so they can give them out to friends and family members. We've had some really great um, coverage from media outlets that cover travel. Yahoo covered us, so it's it's been pretty cool.
0: That is cool. Yeah, I listened to a bit of the Tim Ferriss show, not the whole thing, because I didn't want to have my conversation. So you get diluted with his questions, but yeah. it was um, interesting in that he brought you on. You know, the, I think the title was the Path to Seven Figures, and yeah. that means that you have a company that is at seven figures, and you're sole owner of it. Is that what I understood? Yeah, I am. That's great, dude. How's that? How's that been for you? I mean, is that a lot of responsibility? Have you been able to? you been? How have you been able to manage that?
1: Uh, I don't know. I haven't really thought about it. <laughs> it it's just life, so I just kind of roll with it, right?
0: Um, I guess my question, because it's something that I aspire to accomplish for myself. I mean, I'm not super keen on having tons of employees with any of the endeavors that I undertake. Um, listen to a a cool keynote in Thailand with Cat. I forget her last name, but Cat Yeah, and that was cool too, because I mean, she's just. The, the master of her own ship and has no desire to, to go any bigger because she likes being the master of her own ship. Do you find yourself following that same category?
1: Uh, yeah, sure. I guess. I mean, I think Kat's a lot cooler than I am. <laughs> she probably makes way more money than I do. <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, I mean, I still have employees. I, I have five employees right now and it could be a little annoying to manage, um, because, I don't know how to elaborate. Like, um, there's just a lot of communication that goes on, a lot of emails, like slack talk and stuff. And sometimes I just wish I didn't, I could put blinders on and just not pay any attention to it. And maybe at some point I can, but right now we're kind of like at the size where I'm, I'm still pretty involved in most of the stuff that goes on in the business not necessarily like customer service. I'm not involved in that at all or, or fulfillment, but everything else that goes on, like I kind of manage. And so that generally consists of like, well, I manage all of our finances and um, new product ideas. And I work with our, our partner. I I'm calling him our partner Um, on new hardware stuff. I'm doing all of the market. Well, I have a marketing agency that handles our paid ads and whatnot, but when it comes to, SEO and trying to get coverage for Spy Guy. I handle all of that. And so it, there's just a lot of things to do. Um, when you're the only guy that's like a you know, an owner of the business and you maybe you don't have enough capital or whatever to or deal flow to hire more employees.
0: Yeah, let's talk about capital because in the episode with Tim, he talked about like the the greatest fear you had was the loss of maybe ten thousand dollars when you started and the time spent trying to build this thing, which I could really relate to because you know five years ago I took out a ten thousand dollar loan um, to just kind of build this online surf venture that at this point has failed, <laughs> to be frank, and um, so I've lost the ten thousand dollars and you know the time is not lost because I learned a lot, but at the same time it stings you know to sit here now yeah. back in California trying to rethink my next venture which. It's like, dude, do I really want to put another five years in my life to have something else fail? And so you sounds like, was this your first venture, at the first swing of the bat that you, sounds like, hit out of the park? <laughs> Had you been an entrepreneur in other endeavors? Uh,
1: no, not really. Well, that's not entirely true. So um, back before I got involved in this industry at all, I was just like a I couldn't even say that I was a college student. I'd graduated from high school. Um, I was kind of taking some classes at like the community college, but I was mostly just playing World of Warcraft for like 14 hours a day uh, and hanging out in my bedroom. And uh, but I still needed to like uh, pay some bills because I had a girlfriend, I had a car, I had you know bills that I needed to pay. And so I had a bunch of different odd jobs that were are kind of hard to explain. Like the my parents owned a business, right? And the landlord for that business, um, I was visiting uh, my folks' place, and the landlord was there, and I got to talking with him. And he was like this really rich dude, and he was like, hey, uh, are you good with computers? And I have some I, – I buy computers, and I donate them to the Make-A-Wish Foundation, but I need to install all of this children's software on it. And so I would go in, and I would do all that for him, and then he was referring me to other uh, friends of his uh, that – they all had money. And I was like, kind of like their personal, like computer technician person. So like uh, Yahoo Messenger is not working. Uh, so I would like drive out there and fix that for them. <laughs> uh, and so it wasn't a full blown business, but I kind of got to hang around, you know, like the upper class and like find out, like solve their problems and get get good cash. Uh, and that, I guess that's kind of like the first step I had in the entrepreneurship other than like watching my folks you know run their business which i didn't have any interest in really um which was a shame because it was like a mail order and an e-commerce business i probably could have learned a lot if i like paid a little bit more attention
0: yeah no doubt what what like mail order what and e-commerce what
1: oh they did um it's a really you thought i'm in a weird niche so (laughs) they did uh military uniforms Mm -hmm. uh so they had a lot of museums and reenactors and movies, um, and they would need, uh, like world war two uniforms. And so they would manufacture that sort of thing. And they also did like civil war, um, clothing and that, and, uh, for reenactors.
0: Okay. That is so interesting, dude. Very cool. <laughs> um, so the 10,000 that you started with, was that just savings or did you take out a loan for that?
1: Yeah, that was just savings. I didn't take out a loan. And I, I want to just touch on one last thing about the entrepreneurship. Uh, I worked in a brick-and-mortar security store for two years, um, but I was approached by um, a guy who had a pretty popular TV show at the time. It's called Cheaters. It's a really bad reality TV show. Um, They were looking to – it it was really popular back then. Um, They were looking to start a – Like a franchise of brick and mortar spy shops around the country. And I was like, you know, you should just do an online site. And they're like, oh, well, would you want to do that for us? And so I said, yes. And I got to run that whole company by myself for like a three year period. And then when I quit that company, I'd been inspired by the four hour work week and I wanted to start my own company. I didn't know what, but I was like, hey, you know, I already know all the spy gear stuff. So, let me take a stab at it. Like truly on my own because I didn't have any equity or anything like that in the other company, even though I ran a bunch of stuff.
0: I mean, so yeah, you've never had a passion for SpyGear. It just sounds like what you have developed a passion for though is like business building and entrepreneurship. Yeah. Is that right?
1: Yeah, exactly. I like entrepreneurship. I like making deals. I like making money. I, lo- I love e-commerce. I think it's a lot of fun.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so that's what I'm really interested in.
0: And then – um, you know, So you reach seven figures. How close are you to getting to eight figures? And are you trying to get to eight figures? Are you happy with where you're at?
1: Yeah, eight figures has always been like the uh, – like if I could sell the business for like 10 million or more, then I think that would be pretty awesome. And I'd love to do it like in the next couple of years. Not quite there. <laughs> Not even halfway there if I'm being honest. But I I got really disinterested in the business for a few years. And I just didn't work on it at all. I was just coasting. And so it's only – Like in the last year and a half maybe that I've been kind of um, like focused on actually growing the company to get to that point where I can, you know, sail off into sunset and go do something else.
0: So, yeah, then what's been that motivating factor and and how are you sustaining that motivation? Because I find myself in situations that I probably should do something, but the lack of motivation just continues to prevent me from doing it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I guess there are a few things. Um, I made some errors in the past i guess that reduced the profitability of the company so we didn't have as much money and then we also when we started development on the product um you know we did have to pay a lot of development costs and it did take up a bunch of time and i had several suppliers that had screwed me on various deals and that caused some cash flow issues and so it it killed the growth of the company last year was our first down year ever um and so that wasn't super fun. But we've worked our way out of that, and things are looking really up for 2020. Um, but the main thing that like made me want to get back into it was um, I've I've started a successful online spy shop twice now, basically. And uh, I, I have a skill set that can be applied to other industries, not just spy gear, so anything e-commerce. Um, and I want to do that, but I feel like I need to still kind of prove myself with the website that I started because I feel like I got to the size that we are right now, like relatively without doing a whole lot. Like I did put in a whole lot of work, but I, I still think that there's a lot of growth to be had and a lot of opportunity. And well, one I would have regretted not doing that. I think like if I had sold uh, or just left the company or I don't know what, but if I had left and not taken advantage of the opportunity that I clearly see, I would have like, hated myself for a while. Uh, and then number two, is that um, I started meeting other entrepreneurs that are doing really, really cool stuff, like way cooler than what I'm doing, and I want to be around them, but I can't coast and just you know, not have any growth in my company or in myself, and like continue to be around these people that are doing really cool things, right? So I guess part of it was like I don't – I didn't want to get left behind. I wanted to keep hanging out with these really cool people and find new opportunities, like maybe do business with them or go on cool trips or who knows what opportunities would come up. But when you're around like people who are at the top of their game or like working on being at the top of the game, like I just didn't want to fall behind and like kind of backslide into like mediocrity.
0: Mm -hmm. I hear you, dude. I mean – I feel like you know the ego. Not that this is your ego speaking, but it's a highly um, underrated like motivator. You know, I think it's there for a reason in senses where it's sometimes we have FOMO, fear of you know missing out, or we have that little like voice in the back of our head being like, like you just said, like if you don't accomplish this, like you're nothing, or like you have to like make sure you on your deathbed can look back and say you gave it your all. And I personally attribute that to ego, which I don't think is a bad thing. I don't know how do you feel about that.
1: I don't know uh i think yeah maybe a little bit of that i think it's largely like um these people like that have gone off to start like seven or eight figure companies like we have a lot in common we're all interested in the same stuff um we like personal development or fitness or marketing behavioral psychology building things right um but if I didn't have you know, a seven-figure business, I'd pretty much have no reason to hang out with them. Uh, and so like, if I sold the company, right, like, yeah, we're – <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to think of it. You know how uh, – I don't know when the last time you had a job was, but uh, when I used to have a job or like – I'm thinking about my wife right now, like when she had her job um, she worked at this big, you know, Fortune 500 company. Um, she would hang out with her coworkers all the time, right? Got along great, um, talked a lot about work, kind of commiserated on that sort of thing. But when she left the company, even though they all, you know, got along and were friends and stuff, they pretty much just stopped hanging out because they lost that one common thing, you know. And I feel like that would be what happened. That's what would happen to me if, like, Spy Guy tanked or I wasn't consistently growing. Like, I feel like I would lose that uh, common factor with all these other people that I want to be around.
0: Does that make sense? Absolutely. 100%. Yeah, the community. I mean, even for me, just finding the dynamite circle, which I'd like to elaborate for the audience on in a minute, has been a game changer for me and my business. And like you, I want to be around them. and currently I have an opportunity to maybe go live with a few in Austin, Texas. And like, I'm considering that opportunity just so I can be around them to continue to help me be creative and motivated and, and drive me to get to that place that internally I want to get to as well. Like I don't want to look back and, you know, I said earlier in the conversation, like my little enterprise has crumbled under me. And so it's time to start a new one. And I don't want to sit here in California, not surrounded by the right type of people that, I'm going to lose interest and just kind of quit altogether. You know, I definitely need that community, that network to keep me driven and motivated.
1: Yeah. Environment is so incredibly important. And before we, you know, hopped on the call, I was talking about how I'm in Dallas and I'm the only guy that's in Dallas. Uh, that's like in the dynamite circle or just anywhere. Like I don't have a real like community of other entrepreneurs and stuff that are here, um, for a variety of reasons, I guess. Um, but, uh, It's so important because when I get down there to Austin or, you know, I I hop on the flight to Thailand and meet up with everybody in the Dynamite Circle for the the annual event that we have there, I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is just amazing. I love being around all these people. But I have family in Dallas. My wife has family in Dallas. I know it really well. It would be so hard to leave. Um, But uh, if you have the opportunity to – if you don't have anything tying you down, then, yeah, for anyone listening even – the environment is so important. People – even if it's not physical but just like online stuff. So like if you're on Twitter – like I'm big on Twitter. Like you find your community on there and you just kind of like shut out everybody else, right? That that At least that's what I do because I want to be surrounded around by the thoughts and like the thoughts of people that uh, I enjoy being around. Or um, every moment that you spend like – kind of not doing that like being around people that don't make you happy or make you want to be a better person then you know that's a moment kind of that you've wasted and i'm just becoming so much more aware of like how important it is to surround yourself with um things people experiences that are what you actually want to do versus the monotony that a lot of people have where they just don't consider all of these external factors that are weighing them down and affecting their decisions and lifestyle and all of that.
0: I agree, dude. Well said. Thank you for that. How, I
1: don't know how, that it was well said. I think <laughs> I kind
0: of got a point in there, but <laughs> no, it was perfect. Dude. How did you find the dynamite circle? How'd you get involved? And can you just articulate really quickly? They have, my audience has heard about it, but just articulate from your perspective, what the dynamite circle is and then how you got involved.
1: Yeah, I would say, uh, well, I found out about it uh, about five and a half years ago. And, uh, I, I think I found it because I had just started my business and I was on a big Tim Ferriss kick and I am pretty sure I typed in like four hour work week or Tim Ferriss into the Apple podcast app on my phone. And I think I found the tropical NBA on there and, uh, I just couldn't believe what I was hearing. Like these, this was the exact crew that I wish I'd had, had. Um, it, everybody felt like me basically, like it felt like It was just people who were interested in e-commerce and entrepreneurship, and i never heard a podcast uh, talk about that before. I'd never seen anything on YouTube about that Um, or just on the internet. Um, I guess there weren't, like, the podcasts that we have today or the online communities that we have today. Like, this was, like, super niche. I couldn't believe I found it. And if I were going to describe it five years ago, then location-independent business owner – podcast is basically what it is you know fly to southeast asia build your business live debt free travel whatever nowadays i still think it's like that but people are starting to have families people are starting to have like really big businesses like there's a couple people in there with eight-figure businesses there's more people that have home like uh like a, a home base like in the united states and so i think it's kind of evolved a little bit
0: no, I think so too, and yeah, I came upon them through uh, Chris Reynolds and his podcast actually, which is a roundabout way. And yeah, just it's it's like that internal feeling you get when you you know for a fact, without a doubt, in every cell of your body, that this is the group of people that I need to be surrounded by because <laughs> they're yep. si- speaking my language. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, and then the four hour work week has come up a bunch on the podcast as well. But, you know, the Tim Ferriss thing, you being on his podcast, how did you get on his podcast? Was that something you reached out to him for or did he reach out to you?
1: Uh, he reached out to me. Um, basically, back in 2015, I was trying to get coverage for Spy Guy and it was really hard. And it still is hard because my industry is really weird. Uh, a lot of, it's just not covered in the news at all. Like you'll see a story about a hidden camera being found in a Starbucks bathroom, but that's about it. You don't hear about all the other stuff that we talked about earlier in the podcast, right? Like how people are using our products. Um, I've actually had a lot of TV producers tell us that we're like a downer company. Like, like they don't want to talk about it cause it's like not super, you know, cool to be talking about our industry, I guess. Um. But I was trying to find coverage. Um, There's a tool called Help a Reporter Out, Haro, that uh, I was using to – basically they'll send you out emails with reporters asking questions. They're looking for sources so that they can cite them in an article that they're working on. And most of it is just complete trash, like mom blogs and stuff like that. But uh, every now and then you'll see something in there from like – you know, Inc or entrepreneur magazine or New York times. And, uh, there was one on there for Forbes and it said, looking for $1 million, uh, one person businesses. And I was like, Oh, nobody is going to respond to this thing. I have a great shot at getting into, uh, this story. And, and the reason I know that is because, well, most of the Haro stuff that I was responding to, to try and get media coverage, like, uh, those reporters get a ton of responses, like a ton. So you'll see stuff on there that's like, "We're looking for the best SEO tips for e- e-commerce stores." They get hundreds of responses, and it's really hard to stand out. But one million dollar one person business, I think I could. I think I get it in that one. And so I did. Uh, it was written an article written by Elaine Pofelt, and it was on Forbes. Dot uh, com, and it didn't really get a whole lot of traffic at first. But my strategy was to. Uh, well, the article itself uh, mentioned Tim Ferriss quite a bit in it. Most of the people that were featured, there were four other companies – excuse me, there were four companies. I was one of them. Um, everyone said 4-Hour Workweek was like an inspiration. And so when they wrote the article, they made a huge banner image with with Tim's uh, face on it. Uh, so it was like uh, – it was stories about four entrepreneurs, but the main – you know, photo that they used for the story was tim and so i was like dude i gotta get this in front of tim somehow and i set up alerts on my phone to to notify me whenever tim tweeted and it he does a lot of tweets that are just like his i don't even think he had a podcast at the time but he does a lot of like automated tweets for like blog posts and stuff he wrote years ago so i was paying attention to the twitter notifications for when it was like an authentic tweet like hey i'm having this problem does anyone have a solution and so i would wait until he did one of those and then i'd respond saying hey tim i was fe- i was featured in this forbes article about $1 million dollar one person business and you're mentioned in it and he retweeted it he shared it in his weekly email he posted it on facebook and linkedin and all that And so it shot up to like hundreds of thousands of views on the Forbes website and then became a recurring segment uh, on Forbes. Elaine ended up getting a book deal uh, and she wrote a book called The One Million Dollar One Person Business. And I was featured in that along with a lot of other cool people that I've come to meet just through online relationships. (laughs) And uh, she was at the same publisher, I guess, as Tim. And so they kind of got to talking with each other, and she pointed out that he hadn't done any 4-Hour Workweek case studies in a while, sent him over a list of people that she had covered, and I was on there, and he said that he wanted to bring me onto the show to talk about the company that I built off of 4-Hour week principles.
0: What an interesting circ- like amount of events that occurred just by one kind of strategy that you implemented. That's so cool.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I don't even know that I could pull it off these days cuz Haro just isn't really even that good anymore but and they send a lot of emails too and so i had to go through probably 300 re- requests a day like scanning to see if there was anything that i could get spy guy featured in and i was able to find that one whereas if i was just in a bad mood one day and i was like forget it i don't want to read this email and just click delete then none of that would have happened
0: i love that dude the way life yeah just twists and turns and take you takes you to these places um, is your, you mentioned that your wife used to work for like fortune 500s, but now she doesn't, does she work with you or is she just a stay at home mom?
1: Stay at home mom. So she hasn't worked in a couple of years now. That's she rad. used to work at uh, the fossil corporate office. So, you know, fossil watches, mm-hmm. they're headquartered in our hometown.
0: That's cool, and I don't mean to say just a stay-at-home mom. I know that's a big job, and and that's amazing that she does it. But it's awesome yeah. that you've created. She does a some... great
1: job. Hi, she's listening. I'm sure.
0: <laughs> it, it's uh, <laughs> awesome that you've created something that can sustain both of your lives in the way that you get to. Because I mean, you did you come to Thailand solo without your family?
1: Uh, no. Well, uh, usually I had gone solo, um, but the actually that's not true at all. What am I talking about? So the first time I went to D.C. Bangkok, my wife went with me, and we tacked on a trip to Japan, which was really cool. And then um, when I went to D.C. Bangkok this last time, I brought my brother, who I actually hired him about a year and a half ago now. And his wife, because she had just left her job and wanted a vacation, so she came along. And then I brought my mom. Because she had never been to Asia before. And so we flew over, hung out in Thailand, went up to Japan, and then came back home.
0: That's rad. Did everyone like uh, the experience?
1: Yeah, everyone thought it was really cool. I mean, I want to meet the person who doesn't go to Thailand or Japan or who who goes there and comes away like unsatisfied because <laughs> both are really cool
0: I agree but totally there's, different there's people Very out cool. there dude who just be like this is too dirty and it's too noisy I don't want and to and know who crowded. they are
1: <laughs> I said I want to know who they are and, and now I don't <laughs> I don't want to be around that kind of person
0: but yeah I mean you kind of you shot to stardom if you will and success right off the bat and last year you had a down year you said based on a few decisions that you had made with this new um, product production is that kind of what I understood
1: yeah uh so, cash flow problems based on product development, cash flow problems because I ran into spats with suppliers, and then also um, just making some poor decisions when it came to like paid advertising, like on the internet, like spending way more than I should have without getting a really solid return on it. Mm-hmm.
0: But it sounds like you know you you're, you're back motivated now to get this all these systems in place and all the products dialed to right. you know, one day possibly sell, it sounded like in the, in the near future-ish, like five years or so. Yeah. Um, and pre-show, we kind of talked about a few other fun things that you had going on, which I learned about just recently with you in Thailand, which was these people who are very creative with the point systems that credit cards use to, to get just cheap flights around the world. Can you elaborate on right. that a little bit?
1: Yeah. So with the points game, the points hustle... Uh, travel hacking, whatever you want to call it. Basically, this is like the greatest perk of being an entrepreneur that nobody really talks about, it seems. At least when you're a entrepreneur, nobody talks about it. But when you're like a successful entrepreneur, everyone loves talking points because it allows you to fly business, first class, whatever – Internationally, so something that might be a five, ten, twenty thousand dollar ticket, like you can get it for free with like five dollars in taxes or whatever, just uh, by using the points that you generate off of the operating expenses of your business. And so, I never thought I'd leave the United States until like 2016 when I was like, I gotta go to Hong Kong and I gotta figure out how to manufacture products and I gotta go to this trade show. And I found out that I could get there with all the points that my business was generating. So I flew business class, and I'd never done that before. And you know, a couple of years later, I was able to fly first class on a flight, which honestly isn't even that much better than business class, <laughs> in my opinion. Um, but yeah, when we went to Bangkok this last time, we got four people. We flew from Dallas to Bangkok just on on points in business class, and it was awesome.
0: And that's just through your understanding of how these systems work and the right credit cards to use and shift points over to, because it's pretty complex, if I understand correctly.
1: Yeah, it can be complex. Uh, I actually had dinner with a friend of mine. Uh, she is was completely unaware of the points game until we were chatting about it over dinner the other night. But she's running an eight-figure company off of a Bank of America card, which is like terrible for generating points and like redeeming for travel and um so i was telling her about all the travel possibilities that were available if she would just like swap out like go apply for these credit cards like the american express gold card for example like you get four points for every dollar you spend on google ads facebook ads shipping costs so really amazing for e-commerce companies like mine you could just rack up a ton of american express points very very quickly and then those american express points most people when they want to use their points they'll just go to the american express website like find a flight on american express website and then book it with the points that way but you're getting terrible value out of it you're only getting like one cent per point in value but The best thing you could do is actually transfer those points to another airline – to an airline. So they have uh, dozens of airlines that you can transfer your points to, like British Airways, for example, Virgin Atlantic, Air France, and KLM. And so what you do is you transfer your American Express points to an airline and then you book that way because it's way more cost effective. You can – there's some flights I've done in the past where instead of getting only one cent per point in value, like I've gotten 40 cents per point in value, which like that may not sound like super impressive or anything like that right now. But uh, it, it's truly incredible, like being able to fly business class or first class with, on points. And the only way that you can do that pretty much is to transfer your points from American Express to another airline
0: that's so cool what if for someone like me who's starting out what would be a good starter card is there one that you could recommend to me in the audience yeah
1: yeah so you have personal and business Mm -hmm. cards uh so like personal cards everyone loves talking about the chase sapphire preferred it's a really good card you get like double points on travel and restaurants um it's like 95 dollars a year and then if you Want triple points, so three points for every dollar instead of double, then you can get the Chase Sapphire Reserve card. But then that has like a $500 annual fee. Okay. And so it might not make sense for a whole lot of people. Um, but those are like the go to cards for just like your daily personal spend.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, for business, you have the Chase Inc. cards. Chase Inc. just means business cards. But the Chase Inc. Preferred is really awesome for business owners who pay for Facebook or Google Ads or do shipping because you get triple points uh, for each dollar that you spend. So it allows you to rack up points real quickly. Um, My favorite card is the Amex Gold card because you get quadruple points. So four points for every dollar you spend on Google Ads, Facebook ads, and shipping. Mm -hmm. And then you get the Amex Platinum business card for – the travel perks, so that'll get you lounge access to all of the American Express lounges, which are really, really awesome. And then you, you, you get that card, and you can pretty much get into a lounge at like any airport. Mm-hmm. Um, it also gives you free WeWork access for the entire year. So if you travel a lot, then you get a work. You can go to a WeWork anywhere in the world and just check in for a whole year. It's really pretty cool.
0: It is cool. And I bring it up because pre show we talked about this being, you know, a possible new venture for you, can, and something that I'd be interested in utilizing your skill set for. Because I, it's, it's cool. It sounds interesting, but I don't want to spend the time trying to figure out what card to buy and where to, you know, shift my points to to get that the best, you know, percentage on my points or whatever it is. Um, can you talk to the audience a little bit about what you're thinking? I know it's not like, sure. you know, it doesn't, it doesn't have a name yet, like business wise, but what, what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah. So this was something – again, this is something I've been interested in for years. I read all the blogs um, related to points, related stuff, podcasts, because I, I like getting really nice flights now. <laughs> I never thought I'd do it, but I think it's really cool, and I like traveling to other countries, and you get to do it for free. It's like a byproduct of running your business. And so everybody wants to – like. most people don't have the time to learn this game, right? Because there's a lot of rules and loopholes and whatever. Like Most people don't know or have time to like research the fact that, wow, okay, you can take American Express points and you can transfer them to British Airways at a one-to-one ratio. So one Amex, one British Airways. But British Airways often has a transfer bonus of 40%. So instead of one point, you get 1.4 points, which doesn't sound a whole lot at first, but it really adds up. If you have a million American Express points – and you transfer during a transfer bonus, then you get 40% more. That's 400,000 points. Well, that's like two first-class trips around the world, like round trip, that you're getting for free just because of a transfer bonus, right? Mm -hmm. And if you transfer them to British Airways, you don't necessarily have to spend them on British Airways. In fact, you get the worst value (laughs) by using British Airways points on British Airways flights. Like, it's the worst value ever because you have to pay a ton in taxes. And so you can actually book American Airlines flights using British Airways points. Uh, And people don't know this at all. Like, I give talks about this sort of thing at entrepreneur conferences, and it blows their mind. And so what I want to do is I want to help these entrepreneurs out because we're all super cool, we're working hard on our businesses, and we want to when we go on vacation we really want to have a nice vacation right we don't want to fly economy to Bangkok for the dc event or whatever for 20 hours if you want to get down to australia like go to gold coast dc uh and so um i've started a business recently doesn't really have a name i'm calling it fly guy just because it rhymes with spy guy and i thought it was funny uh i barely promoted it but we already have several dozen clients because like just word of mouth uh Friends of mine that signed up for the service, they love it, referred us to other business owner friends of theirs who have signed up. And so uh, we've created this cool thing where we give you the credit card advice. So we tell you what cards you need to sign up for, what cards uh, you should be putting your spend on. And then when you want to make a booking, then just give us the dates, give us the cities, uh, tell us how flexible you are, how many people, and we can find the perfect flight so that you can get there in business and first class without having to know the ins and outs of the points game.
0: Dude, I love it. I'm definitely going to hire you at some point because it sounds so cool. Because, yeah, I fly I fly uh, economy all the way from L.A. to Thailand. It's a long flight, dude.
1: Yeah, it is a long flight. What is that? you got to stop somewhere too, like probably Hong Kong or Tokyo depending on the routing.
0: Yeah, or Taiwan. Or Taiwan. Yeah, it's yeah. usually like 15 hours you know, total.
1: Yeah, it can be rough, man.
0: Uh, <laughs> it is rough. Um listen, Alan, dude, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. If you could talk to one audience member who, you know, might want to become location dependent, start an e-commerce site, or just get started, you know, in a new lifestyle, what would you say to them?
1: Just one thing. I can offer like five. Do it. Uh,
0: five. List them. uh
1: listen to the Tropical NBA podcast. Go back years, go back into the archives and listen to the stories of other entrepreneurs who have done this. Right? Yeah. Learn from their mistakes. Um, read the classics, all the classic books that have come out over the last few years or even old, old books, plenty of old books that are worth learning because they're going to make you better both like personally and then like in your business life. So things like for our work week, right? Right. Can't, yeah. Can't go anywhere without, that's like the Bible for our tribe, right? You got to read that, uh, millionaire fast lane, um, I really like Sky Adams' book, um, How to Fail at Almost Everything and Still Win Big. Um, I don't know if you have any, if you need book recommendations, just ping me on Twitter. My Twitter thing is at Alan A-L-L-E-N, e n third t h i r d. I'm the third Allen in my family, so Allen third, uh, and I'll hit you with some book recommendations. But there's a lot of really good ones out there. Um, and then uh, get involved online. So they' like Twitter's my big hangout because I get to meet a lot of other e-commerce founders. Um, there's great community on there of people who are sharing what they've learned tactics, strategy um, there's there's just a lot of really good information that's out there and uh, if you already have a business then join the Dynamite Circle so um, I, don't, I don't know what the requirements are these days, but if you can get in the dynamite circle there's just some there's some amazing threads in there with people sharing what they've learned. Um, and how they've grown their business from like, you know, nothing to seven or eight figures or something like that. And, uh, let me think, I think that's probably about it. There's a lot of really great information on the internet, a lot of really good videos, podcasts, blog posts that people have written over the years that are, you know, just as relevant as they were, you know, 10 years ago or something like that. But everything's there. It's easier than ever totally recommend you do it
0: that's awesome dude if somebody wants to get some spy equipment they just go to spyguy.com and reach out to you
1: yeah yeah spyguy.com you can email me and uh let me know what your problem is and we'll find the product that solves it
0: you're the man alan thank you for joining me yeah definitely thank you awesome alan thank you so much for joining me i loved hearing your story really inspirational i appreciate you and your time looking forward to connecting again at another dc event And thank you, the listeners, so much for joining me week in and week out. I hope you're as inspired by these stories as I am and taking those first steps to maybe starting your first online business or taking that first trip outside of the U.S. Remember, I think you all are so very beautiful and I look forward to seeing you next week's episode. Take care. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Misfits and Rejects. I hope this inspire you to think about your life situation, where you're at, and possibly make a big decision to choose something different for yourself if you're unhappy with where you're at in life. I hope these people that I interview inspire you to go out spread your wings and try something new to live a different lifestyle that maybe your whole life people were telling you was the wrong one, but when in fact it's the perfect one for you and I'll see you next time.